All right, Chavre, we are continuing with our fascinating series, Learning About Dreams. We are learning straight out of the Gemara. We are whoever has the Gemara. We are on page 55b4, on the top of the right hand, the rightermost hand column. If you remember, already two weeks ago, in the context of the, discru- of the discussion about dreams, the Gemara recorded how three great Amirayim, Ameymar, that was his name, Mar Zutra, invited his name, and Avashi, Ravashi was actually one of the two that compiled the whole Talmud together. That they were sitting together and they said, let us each one reveal something that no one else knows. The first one was dream related. Last week was fascinating, Ayin Hara related. And now we're going to learn the third revelation, the third revealed secret. And like the prior two, like we mentioned last week, obviously they are referring to the esoteric part of the Torah. Because if they're speaking about the revealed part of the Torah, one cannot say, I'm going to reveal that which you don't know. Why? Everyone knew these people, these were the greatest of our people. Right? Maybe the other doesn't know, but to be certain that the other doesn't know, it must be that they were revealing a certain tradition regarding the inner part or the hidden part of the Torah. Up until the days of the Arizal, the hidden part of the Torah, when you were told, when you were taught, you were not allowed to share. But here, for some reason, they had an exception. And whatever it is that they shared is even recorded in the Gemara. So we're up to the third. Pasach, the third one opened up. And he shared the following. Haiman, the Chalish, if a person, God forbid, takes ill. So, the first day that the person feels unwell, he should not reveal this at all to others. Ah, why? I'm repeating the word. So, his muzzle should not become weak, his muzzle should not worsen. How amazing is that? But after the person is already ill for more than a day, then not only should he not be concerned about it, but the opposite, legale, let the person reveal his situation to others. Now, mazel, again, it's, we're speaking about the esoteric. I know that for those of us who are who had the good fortune of making the choice of learning Hasidus, particularly Chabad Hasidus, which really explains in a way certain Kabbalistic ideas in a way that we can understand, has a lot to speak about mazel. The neshama has really five levels to it. Aside of the core, which cannot be defined and therefore can never be named. And going from the lowest to the highest, there's nefesh, ruach, and neshama. The greater the person evolves, the more we develop ourselves, the more we are able to consciously be aware of even a greater level of our soul. In other words, when a person is born... So what they are in touch with primarily is with the nefesh part of the of their soul. The nefesh is that part of the soul that literally enlivens you, right? You have motor skills. You're able to eat. You're able to walk. V'chule. Ruach is connected, as explained in Chabad Hasidus, with our emotions. Now, I'm not saying that people without connection to Ruach have no emotions, but it's good just to be familiar with these terms. That as we develop developing emotion as we develop emotionally 
as we become more aware of our emotions, therefore more in control of our emotions, therefore able to feel more, because we are not overwhelmed, that such as a person that's connecting more to their ruach, similarly going up one notch, when a person develops their intellectual mind, then they are connecting even more to their neshama, or they are allowing more of their neshama to manifest in them consciously. And that's where it stops, nefesh, ruach, and neshama. Now there are two levels that are so uh, great, that so to say, they cannot go in the person, so they stay around the person, they become like an aura around the person, they're makif, they're soivev, there are two levels to that, chaya and yechida. Mazel and chaya refer to the same level. So when we speak about mazel, God forbid, lest someone think that the Gemara is speaking about luck, meaning random. Randomness is, 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 is a form of idol worship. All right, there is a God and everything that happens, happens by the direction of God. Now there are things that we can understand there are things for which we can make a direct keli for. And then there are certain things that are happening from God, obviously, but they're so beyond the order of things, they're so supra-rational that we can't understand why they happened. They're not commensurate at all to the effort that we put in. So, for example, if a person buys the lottery ticket and they win, it's correct to say, wow, the person's mazel was good because that win came from a level that's beyond our effort. It's beyond us, right? How much effort is a dollar in relation to, I don't know, whatever the, whatever the number, the winner wins. It's completely, it's, it's, it's an infinite gap. So that's something that's coming, so to say, from beyond the person. That's the person's mazel. The stronger of a connection we have to the mazel, the better it is. The weaker connection we have with our mazel, then we are losing a certain aura protection. Or let me word this differently. If a person is ill, and even if by the laws of nature, this is a challenging illness, this is a real illness. Being that one soul, the part that is not invested in the body, thus not bound by the rules of the body, it can somehow circumvent and a miracle can happen, and even though it shouldn't have happened, it's going to happen nonetheless. So if a person is ill, now, first of all, they should go to a doctor. No one is saying they should not do so. No, it's anything that is within our power to better, we don't only rely on mazel. But we have to, we always, as Yidin, we have to be open to the possibility that aside of our natural effort that God tells us that we need to make, that there are certain powers in the world, and not only out there, but my mazel, my super neshama, my super neshama can somehow give me so much life and vitality that from that increase of tremendous, of life and vitality, my body can heal, so to say even if that cannot be explained exactly physically what happened, what changed. So when a person speaks about the fact that they are ill, therefore, like we spoke out in the beginning of this topic of dreams, speech is the medium between spiritual and physical. 
So if something is happening spiritually, it will hold more physically when words are given to it, both in the positive and in the opposite of the positive. Right In the positive we said that when Elio HaNovi comes to our bris, to the bris of our sons, when Elio HaNovi comes every uh, seder to our homes, etc., etc., so, you know, if he comes but we don't see him and we don't hear him, so, like, what's the point? It's like irrelevant. Who cares? No, it's not true. The more he can, so to say, be captured, the more of a connection we can somehow create, even if it's a connection that doesn't yet enable us to consciously see him, but still, it's mamish like the mazel, it's like the supra neshama. Well, if it's not manifesting, then who needs it? It's not true. If I'm able to hold on to it, then it somehow manages not only to manifest, but to manifest in a miraculous way. So if a person is going to give words to their illness, then the illness is becoming more real. Then the illness is becoming stronger. Not worse, but it's less open for the miracle to happen, for the mazel to manifest, and for the person to miraculously heal. So don't speak about it. This is not burying your head in the sand. Rava did not say, that this person did not say not to go to a doctor. It just means that for the first day of the illness, there was a downside in speaking about the fact that you are ill. But what, happen, what happens after one day? So after one day, if the person's mazel was so far unable to perform, so to say, the miracle, then it sounds like you speaking about it or not won't change anything. I'm not saying that after one day a miracle cannot happen. God forbid, we know of miracles that can happen after many days of illness. Miracles. Mamish, right? Rivka was barren for 10 years. Rava was barren. She got married when she was 15, right? Avram Avinu was 25. Sara Yimeinu was 15. And we know that she gave birth when she was 90, right? That's, that's more than one day. Having said that, there was a certain amount of, of, uh, of uh, credit time of special time, of miraculous time for the first 24 hours when something goes off that the mazel can come in and right away correct it. And therefore, it's a Gavadike concept. For the first day, don't talk about it. After one day, you're not going to lose anything. And not only will you not lose, but as the Gemara tells us, the upside of sharing with others that you are ill is a double upside. It's a double upside. As we'll see, we'll read it inside. Now it's whoever hears it, whether they are your friends or whether they are your enemies, regardless, you will benefit from them knowing that you are ill. So let's go now, and the Gemara substantiates this by quoting Rava, ki, ki Rava, like happened by Rava, that ki havachalish wants Rava to kill, yoy First day he didn't reveal it. That means he didn't speak about it. Could be it means more than just not talking, but it's certainly connected to talking. After the first day, he told his attendant, he told his gabai, he told his rabbi groner that puk achris rava go and announce in shul that rava chalash let everyone know rava zil, and he explained why he wanted that to become a public notification because man derachemli those who it's who are befriended to me, I want you to know that in Aramaic it's beautiful. One of the words used for a friend is the rachem. Now we know that really rachem, many words in Aramaic are rooted in the holy tongue. Rachem means, rachmanus means compassionate. And there's a very deep insight, I'm just going off on a tangent for a moment, that a good way 
to define a friend is someone who has compassion on you. Or let me word this differently, as Hasidus explains very deeply, that chesed is someone who's non-judgmental. You would normally think that a friend is someone who's your chesed, someone who doesn't judge you. Gvura is the judger. Rachi means not that there is no element of judgment. Rachi means that there's an element of judgment and therefore a real, of, of an emesid judgment. And therefore there's a certain amount of understanding of the good and the, and the opposite. The areas where someone is great and the areas where someone is not. And nevertheless, even though the person knows that in, that, in those areas things are not ideal yet the way they should be, there is still a, a compassion for that. And I think that's the best friend to have. What's to have someone who never judges you? Well, I know it's nice to have that, especially people who uh, interact with others who always judge them, they feel suffocated. So they feel, ah, thank God I'm not being judged in this environment. But that's not good enough. A real good friend should also know that there is a time to be judgmental. But not to be judgmental and therefore to be a negative and therefore to outcast or to reject. People, someone who understands you as close as much as someone could, you're good, and they see the not good, and they still accept all of you, not because they have their head buried in the sand, not because they don't know who you are, they know who you are, and they still accept you, that's called a friend. Anyways, so, so obviously, it's the ones who are my friends, when they will hear that I am ill, they're going to ask for mercy, they're going to daven for me. And those who hate me, my enemies... So they're going to rejoice in the fact that I'm ill, right? Lechtali. And I'm also, I will also benefit from that. And why is that? Because he quotes a Pasuk in Mishle. The Pasuk writes, King Solomon says, That when your foe, when your enemy falls, do not rejoice. Even if he didn't fall, if he stumbled, lest may your heart not be joyous. Because Penira Hashem, because God who sees how you are reacting, God might react towards your reaction. Not for sure, but there's a possibility when you react that, wow, my enemy is hurting, I'm happy. It, it, it could displease Hashem. I'll explain the could in a moment. It's not always. And if God becomes displeased, so what happens, says King Solomon? Which means that the anger, that sada, that non-positive thing that was manifesting here by Rava, it was manifesting in an illness, will leave Rava and it will go into the person that is rejoicing that Rava is sick. Also, there's a very interesting spiritual concept. It's as if to say that there are certain things that need to happen or there's a certain measure of sickness that needs to be experienced in this world. The only question is, who will be the vessel for it? So it's not that, well, if there was something that I did to, uh, to now God forgave me or whatever the cause for my illness is going to be removed, then the illness is removed. There are times that it doesn't work, though, at least at times. There are times, especially in this case, Rava's not doing anything different. Rava's ill. The other is rejoicing that Rava is ill. So there's a possibility that God will say, well, the illness has to happen, but who says it has to happen in Rava? 
The illness will manifest through that and who will manifest it, who will be a keli for it, the guy who was rejoicing. How amazing is that? So there's a transference of the illness from one which also means that Rav is going to get better. Now, the reason why King Solomon writes that God might see, first of all, it doesn't mean that God might see. God always sees. It means that God might see and therefore get angry. Sometimes when God sees us rejoicing at the downfall of the wicked, there are different types of wicked. When, when we rejoice that Nazism was defeated, we are supposed to rejoice. And the Al-Tarebbe has a lot about that in Tanya. And that's a very important thing to learn about, particularly those of us who are living here in America. And there's a lot in the culture here that advocates never to hate. And the Al-Tarebbe, if you remember Tanya, let's say, for example, Tanya Pedicure in the beginning. We're starting soon again by Yutas Kislev. The Al-Tarebbe, when he's defining the difference between the perfect tzaddik and the imperfect tzaddik, tzaddik gamur, tzaddik she'ena gamur, tzaddik v'toivloi, tzaddik v'raloi. So he defines how do you measure these levels of a tzaddik? By measuring how much do they hate evil. I'm not saying that every person is evil, God forbid. Right? There's something evil in us that manifests when we do something wrong. We do, we, we, our behavior could be evil. But there are times that the person can be called evil. There is that level. And we are meant to hate them. And if we don't despise them, again, there's always exceptions. So normally you say, well, despise what they're doing. Correct. But there is a point where we are supposed to rejoice with the downfall of very wicked people. But that's, in the vast majority of cases, that's simply not true. We all have good, we all have areas in which we're not good at all, and we need to improve a lot, and other areas where we have to improve in a little, etc., etc. So normally the rule is that even if he's your enemy, and even if you're the righteous one, and objectively he's the non-yet-righteous one, but he's not evil yet. And in that case, don't rejoice by his or her downfall because of this phenomenal mystical type of transference. So coming back over here, first day a person is sick, don't talk about it. Don't reveal it. This is a good secret to know. And I'm sure there are exceptions to, you know, everything has an exception, but that's a clown. We're not speaking about hiding, right? We're not, you know, there's a difference between keeping a secret and there's a difference between being modest. You know, he's not saying that you have to conceal Normally, things should not be concealed. Being secretive normally is not viewed as a as a positive attribute. You know, might be secret, be tam, be wholesome. But being modest doesn't mean to be secretive. Modest means you don't have to talk about it. Not everything that is needs to be said. Not everything needs to be said. Wait for twenty four hours. First twenty four hours again. If you speak about that, oi, Reuven is sick. Reuven says, I am sick. Then Reuven's sickness took greater hold in Reuven and Reuven's mazel has less ability to miraculously heal him or her. How great is that? Any comments? All right, so let's move on right there. So now that we covered these three, the topic, we are learning the topic of dreams. And as I mentioned that when we began this, this, this whole series, that we do divide dreams into three general categories, right? We have dreams that are simply a result of someone is stepping on your toe while you're sleeping. So you're dreaming, in your dream, your toe is hurting, right? That's not a prophetic dream. 
That's simply, that's just your mind reacting towards a physical phenomena that's happening. Very similar to that is you ate food that was either very sweet, so you can have a very joyful dream. If you associate joy with sweets, that's a nomachlekes. Now there's a new meaning that people have salt. So maybe you had salt and you're having this amazing dream. Or you had some food that's upsetting your stomach and you're having an upsetting dream. These are dreams that are completely nonsensical. Then you have psychological dreams. That means topics that you thought about during the day can manifest at night in a dream, but they're not prophetic. They are actually opening up a window into your subconscious, not into a greater subconscious. And we are, we are going to now continue speaking about the third and highest level of a dream, which is called a prophetic dream. And as we will unpackage today's class, we will see that there are three types of prophetic dreams. Wow, there are three categories in the last one that we just mentioned. So let's continue. Shmuel, when he would see what he felt was a non-positive dream or a negative dream, Ahmad, he would say, unlike everything we learned until now, to go in front of a Beisdin, Birchaz um, Kahanim, maybe Shmuel was an Ashkenazi, I'm just joking, there was no Ashkenazim yet, but maybe Birchaz Kahanim, if it only happened already then by him, on Yamtiv, so then you can't, uh, he didn't want to wait until then. So he quoted the verse that says, that dreams speak lies, this is a Pasuk in Zechariah. And interestingly, when the same Shmuel saw what he felt to be a positive dream, he would quote the Pasuk, but he would read it as a rhetoric, with a rhetorical tune. Not that, but he would read the same words. Oh. Are dreams speaking falsely? Of course not. In other words, he verbalized the verse. He was using the power of Torah. He's quoting a verse from Zechariah to either counter any potential not positive effect that the dream might have, might have over him physically or on a more spiritual realm. Torah can fight it. And on the other hand, if he had a positive dream, he's using Torah as a means to authenticate to authenticate that which he felt is indeed a good dream. How great is that? You know, there's a verse that King Solomon says that soina matone sichia, which means those who hate gifts will live long. You know, there's a virtue by people that we're speaking about chasidim, we're speaking about people that are going way beyond the letter of the law, that they don't ever take a gift. You know, the, the, in the Friedrich Rebbe, in his Zechreinus, in his memoirs, when he speaks about the father of the Alter Rebbe, of Baruch, so one of the virtues that he had was, since when he became an orphan, as a, I think he was only 14 or 15, at a very young age, he decided never to take a handout. These are very high levels. We have this in Gemara. There was a Rabbi Hanina Ben Doisa. We had the great, the greatest of our people had such a Midot Toiva, that they, you know, and they read the verse that, that soina matana is those who hate gifts they'll live long it's like it's a school to live long so uh, people say nah you have to know how to read the verse if you can read the verse rhetorically so the verse will read that soina matana but if you're going to hate gifts can you live of course not you have to take gifts this is just a nice but um, you see over here that a pasik like everything else putting changing the tone will change completely its meaning Mamish, 180 degrees, and Shmuel, again, what Shmuel is really saying is that use a Pasuk to help you authenticate or to help you counter dreams that you have. I do want to mention that the Gemara mentions elsewhere that we are not allowed to use verses 
for healing. So when people had incantations, when they used the lachash as a means for healing, as a spiritual means of healing, so the general rule is you may not use a verse. And the Gemara speaks about, well, one second, but don't we read the Shema before we go to sleep? And that's to ward off some, some you know, negative spiritual spirits. So are we not healing ourselves? So there the answer is, is that no, that no evil spirits came to you. As a protective means, you can, you can use a verse. But if something, if someone got caught, and when they used to put a band-aid, they used to have certain uh, incantations that they would say, don't quote a verse. When a person is already ill, I would say very similar to over here. When a person just had a dream, nothing happened yet over here. We can't say the person is ill and we are allowed to use a pasik to again, to either ward off, to keep away or to bring even closer the, the dream, keep away the bad and bring closer the good. Rava quoted the contradiction. Now that we just mentioned this verse in Zechariah, in Baha Aloyscha, when Miriam and Aaron were speaking words that were not favorable about Moshe, and God reprimanded Miriam and Aaron. And God tells them that that not only is Moses a prophet on the level that I speak to him through a dream, but God says, Moshe, I even speak face to face. But God, there, there's a Pasuk in the Chumash that says that God speaks through a dream. Which means that dreams, right, can be portals, can be vehicles for prophecy. And how are you quoting this Pasuk in Zechariah? That unless you read it rhetorically, the verse reads that that dreams speak lies. So which one is it? So answers Rava Loikasha. That's not a problem. That Khan Ali Malach, the Pasik in Baha God speaks to prophets in dreams. A dream is the tool for prophecy. That is when the communicator is coming from a level of godliness called a malach. All right, even though a malach just when we learn Hasidus, a malach is already a creation, but it's a very lofty creation. It's a creation that's very close to God. A malach. So if a malach is trying to communicate to you, the malach will communicate to, to you through a dream, and that is the meaning of Bachaloi Madaberboy. Khan, the Pasik in Zechariah, is also speaking about, like we mentioned. In the type, in the dream group of prophecy, it's a prophetic dream. You are picking up, not your own stuff, you're picking up something from out there. But who is the talker? Here it's coming through a demon. And when the demon is talking to you, the, the dream speaks lies. Now, now. Let me read another couple of lines and come back a little bit more about the demon. What does the demon mean, especially in the context here of dreams? And it's not going to be what most people understand initially. But I want to read a couple of lines. Says the Gemara story that Omar Abizna, the son of Zavda, in the name of Rabbi Akiva, I want you to know that this Rabbi Akiva was not the famous Tana that you know about, right? Omar Akiva, uh, the one who, who started when he was 40, this was many years later, people were named after him, who said in turn in the name of Rabbi Panda, who said in the name of Rav Nachum, who said in the name of Rabbi Birayim, who said in the name of a certain elder, and who is this elder, Rabbi Bano'a? Look how, in, how much effort we are making to quote who said it in the name of whom, because we're saying something that we really need to source it out. That That there were 24 people who were known as dream interpreters that lived in Yerushalayim. And says this Rabbi Bano'a, this elder, that there was a time, I dreamt a dream, and I went to all 24. 
No two said the same interpretation. I got 24 different interpretations. And you know what happened? Every single interpretation came true. The kulam and they all came true. And this is Lakayim Ashenemar, and this actually fulfills that which we already spoke before, right? In the name of Rab Chizda, no, no, we spoke before that that the realization of a dream, the manifestation of a dream will fu- fully depend, it will only follow the mouth when the interpretation, as we'll see more details, is given in a way that it lends itself to the dream, then that's exactly what's going to happen. And this is a dream that came from a demon. I'll, I'll come back to this in a moment. I want to just read a little bit more. Counters the Gemara, what? The, the dream will follow the interpretation of the mouth. is returning to page 55b6. Krohu, right? This is not the case. Is it written anywhere that? How do you know that? So the Gemara says, yeah, it's written. And it's written in Tanakh. It's written in Scripture. Like Rabbi Lazar taught us. From where do we know that all dreams will follow the mouth? Now again, we're not speaking about all dreams. We're speaking about dreams of this category. And this will be the dream that's coming through a demon, as we will explain. And that mamish fully and only depends on the interpretation of the interpreter, because it says in Parshas Mikes, when the two butlers, right, when the two Sarim of Paray, the Saramashkim and the Sar Ho'ifen, when they were in jail with Yosef Atzadik, and it says, kasher hoya, that just as he interpreted, so did it happen, so did it happen, what that really means is, is that it happened the way it happened because Yosef interpreted it that way. So one can ask a question, if that's the case, so what chachma do you need to be a dream interpreter? Whatever it is that you hear, just say something positive. So Rava adds that when will a dream follow its interpretation? For who the mefar It's only when the interpreter interprets the, the vision, the dream, in approximation to that which the person had on the vision. Which is why we will be spending a long time in the Gemara speaking about the fundamentals of what certain images mean according to the truth. And these will be the tools that one needs to become a dream interpreter. Maybe we should make a course, become a dream interpreter. We've got to learn properly these pages of the Gemara. And Rava proves that this is the case because it says, Ish that Yosef interpreted each dream in accordance to the dream. The Torah has to emphasize that. Now, what Yosef said happened. A big part of happening was the fact that Yosef was the one that did it. But Yosef only succeeded because it was connected to the vision. And furthermore, the Torah says that after Yosef interpreted the dream of the um, of the Sarah Mashkin, right, uh, uh, so then it says that the vayar sar the, the the butler the, the baker the baker the baker the butler the ba- the baker saw he saw that wow what Yosef said is correct how did he see that what Yosef said was correct so here the Gemara adds that Omar Abulazar that each one dreamt their own dream and they also dreamt a little bit about the other one's dream 
So he already dreamt the interpretation of the butler's dream. So when he heard what Yosef says, he saw that in his dream. Wow. This even furthers the importance of the one who is doing the interpretation, not just to say anything that comes to his or her mind that's not really related to the dream. They have to be able to to explain the dream based on some objective meaning of the dream, but yes, it will follow their interpretation. As it says, that, like Rabbi Lazar says, that each one saw his own dream and he saw Now let me explain a couple of fundamental concepts over here. First of all, around 450 years ago, there was a great um, rabbi who wrote a commentator, a commentary on the Gemara, and we called him by his acronym, Maharsho. Okay, his name was Rabbi Shmuel. And the Marsha, he wrote, like I spoke out in the beginning of today's class, that in the prophetic dream there are three categories. And he puts everything together beautifully over here. But I wanted to step back because his comments clarify something that we just mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Uh, it depends. When it says in Baha Aloyscha that God, I speak to a prophet through a dream, that goes through a malach. When, when it says in Zechariah that dreams speak false, oh, that's, that's when it comes through a demon. So he says like this. When a demon, we'll understand a little bit what a demon means better once we'll say what we're going to say right now. When the dream is coming from a demon, the dream itself objectively has no meaning. Meaning it, it, it can go and it, it, it's, not, it's not positive, it's not negative. Like this person who had his dream interpreted, Rabbano, by 24 dream interpreters, before he had it interpreted, the dream potentially, Take, could have meant all of the 24. It wasn't leaning to one more than the other. Such a dream, without an interpretation, will have zero effect, Begashmias, and it will have zero effect, Beruchnias. You don't even have to undo some spiritual damage, which is what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, that the question is that if everything depends on the interpretation, then don't interpret, and it's never going to manifest. So we said, nah, if you're not going to interpret it, if the dream has some sort of negative connotation, even though without your interpretation, without someone's interpretation, it will not manifest physically, but there's something not positive in the spiritual realm. And when you interpret it properly, positively, you transform even the Ruchnias dick and negative potential side effects. That's not if a dream is coming through a shade. In other words, a shade is a power that's not positive or not negative. It's some sort of power. Number one, a shade has no body. It's some sort of, it's like a wind that's blowing. What is that? It's what, well, it's up to you. Depends what type of keli you make. Depends in what direction you want your boat to sail. Depends in what direction you're putting your sail, whether the, 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 the wind is going to take you to your destination or whether the wind is going to blow you away from your destination. Notice there are certain koichos that are neutral. And this is a theme that we mentioned, I think, in the series. But this is something that the Alter Rebbe introduces to us in Tanya, again, coming towards Yutas Kislev, that in the very lofty spiritual worlds, it's either Kedusha or Klipa. It's, there's good and bad. Or like we had before today, we learned with Rava. The other people are my friends or my enemies. 
in very high lofty worlds, it is indeed that way. Either you're with me or you are against me. That's not the reality in this physical universe. In this physical universe, things are not only extreme. Yeah, there are people that are your friends. Yes, there are people that, God forbid, might be in, 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 your enemies. Okay. But there are many people that are neutral. Or you have, you know, the mitzvahs. You have Avedis and what Hasidus calls Rishus, or what we call Klipas Noiga. It's not holy, but you can't say that it's not pure. It's Klipa, but it's Klipas Noiga. And Klipas Noiga, we know, what is it? Well, it's up to us. We don't, have, we don't have to engage with it, but if we use it for good, it becomes good. It becomes good. Neutral is exactly what it's called, neutral Rishus. So that's the context of a shade. In other words, there, there are certain um, spiritual powers that are neutral. And being that they are neutral, if you won't interpret it, it's not only that it won't manifest in the physical world, it taka won't have a meaning. That is what we learned before in the name of Rabchizna, that a dream that is not interpreted is like a letter that's not read, and we explain not read means not that you won't know about it. It's nothing. On the other hand, when a person receives a dream through a malach, this is what the marsha innovates, such a dream, such a dream, will come true, begashmias, whether it's interpreted or not. Because that's the whole purpose of a prophecy. God is notifying a prophet some event that will happen. Not some event that will happen only if it's going to be verbalized. No. There are certain things that will happen independent if they will be verbalized or not. More than that, a dream that's coming through a malach, such a dream, even if someone, either from their ignorance, gives a wrong interpretation, or someone who's trying through the wisdom that we hopefully will tap into a little bit at least, to learn how to understand a dream in a way where you can turn it from negative to positive, that turning from negative to positive will not work if the dream came through a malach. Wow. But on the other hand, there in between, there is an in-between. There is an in-between, a demon and a malach. And that's a dream that already has a certain meaning. And that meaning might not be positive. It can be a positive, it can be negative. Even, and, and if that dream won't be interpreted, it's not neutral. Will it manifest? Probably not. But something not good is out there. And here also there's a koyach, an interpretation, to not only not allow it to manifest negatively, but to turn it around from the negative to the positive on a spiritual realm. That's quite amazing. So Rabbana, who went to the 24, the point there is, is that all 24 happened. By Yosef Atzadik, over there, not his dreams, the dreams did not come from a malach. They didn't come from a shade either. In other words, the dreams were leaning towards a certain understanding to the point that when Yosef did give its interpretation, the other one knew, wow, that's exactly what I saw. Now, in such a dream, had Yosef decided for whatever reason to take something negative and to interpret it positively, then Yosef would have succeeded in transforming the dream. And that is about what we learned about, like by say, ask God during Birchas Kahanam that he should transform your dream. And we give all these examples. Miriam was sick. God cured her from her sickness. 
the waters of of the of, of, of were poisonous, and Elisha cured it. But as long as the dream did not come, so to say, from Amalach, then we can turn it over, even if it doesn't come through the shade. But if a dream comes through a shade, then it means nothing. You don't have to transform anything. So the point of a shade is is that is like there's energy. There's energy in the world. And there's energy that we can tap into. The energy is completely neutral. And if we tap into that energy, then we can use that energy for good or, God forbid, for the opposite. All right, Chavre, we'll stop over here. Any comments? Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. I will make a suggestion that over for, over the next few weeks, perhaps, at least once a week, write down a dream. That will simply allow you to become more in touch with your dreams. And then this topic will become a lot more uh, relevant and real. Especially as we start getting into certain images and what they mean and whatnot. I think there's a big koyach. Like I mentioned, there's a, it's a big part of our life that we're not... Uh, we're not, we're not connecting to enough, which is the dream part of our life. Good. Absolutely. Um, can I ask you about the, the co-op question? I put it in the chat. I missed but, that. Um, I didn't see that. 